Welcome to Girl, Water Your Grass. talk about all the things to better yourself, your family, your career, your dreams, your goals, and your life, and how God's dreams over us are so much bigger than our own. We are just two girlfriends who grew up in the bluegrass state of Kentucky with five brothers each and have reunited to take our dreams to the next level. Now we're inviting you to get out of your own way, girlfriend, and come on this ride because on this journey of a lifetime, we never arrive. Welcome to Girl Water Your Grass. We are back here live today with a very special guest who we are so honored to have with us. My dear friend, my brother, and just uh, one of the, the closest and best friends I've ever had, um, JP Blevins. Welcome, so welcome, JP. JP. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Girl, you better water your grass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Woo! much fun. Y'all are really in for a treat today. Um, just a little background on JP. For those of you that uh, reign in the state of Kentucky, you probably know him. He played basketball for the University of Kentucky a few years ago, and which is really absolutely incredible for a white boy from Metcalf <laughs> County, Kentucky, to make it to the big leagues and walk onto the floor of Rupp Arena. And for those of you that aren't from Kentucky and don't know what March Madness is, you really should check it out. You're missing out on a lot of fun. So and for those of you who are not from Kentucky and don't know where Metcalf County is, it's a little tiny podunk place <laughs> in Kentucky that many people don't know where it is. <laughs> That's right. So I met JP when I was at UK, but really it was after college that our friendship flourished. And it really, to me, has been that the Lord united us in friendship and, and on a deeper level, he really is just like a brother to me um, and to my family, to Will, my husband, and to my kids who call him Uncle JP and tell everyone in the world about their Uncle JP. I don't think they even know that we're not blood related, but it's all good. So we, I'm sure... Echoes of that, we'll, we'll get into this. But, um, and Maria has also met JP, so she knows him and knows how amazing of a man he is and just his heart for people and heart for life. So we just wanted to bring you on today and talk a little bit about your story and how dreams really do change your life. Yeah. Um, and your story is absolutely incredible, but tell us a little bit about you and your story. How did you get to where you are now and what you're doing? But, but really your journey of f bringing that dream to fruition of, walking on you want to walk on for for playing for the Kentucky Wildcats yeah so uh well first of all it's an honor to be on girl why do your grass uh <laughs> I, I have actually I don't know dudes are like allowed to listen right absolutely we welcome all men we have lots of men <laughs> okay good I've uh, I've listened to a few and love what you guys are, are up to and doing I think you guys both have a gift so you're using it in an incredible way so thanks for that so yeah, my story, I mean, as uh, Maria alluded to, so yeah, I grew up um, in a middle-class family in rural Kentucky, a place called Edmonton, Kentucky, Metcalf County. Uh, if you're not from Kentucky, or even if you are, there's probably a 1% chance you've ever heard of that or know where that is, and that's okay. I'm actually, I carry that with pride now, being from a town with one stoplight and 
couple thousand people. So, um, yes, I grew up in a, in a you know, middle-class family. My mom was a school teacher. My dad was county attorney, kind of a jock family, you know, two older brothers. I was the youngest of three boys. My dad had played college basketball. My oldest brother had played college basketball and, you know, sports was kind of the, how we did life. You know, my poor mother, you know, with a bunch of boys in the house and all we do is play ball and my middle brother played ball, but he was a lot smarter than the rest of us. So he didn't really have to worry about ball. Like, um, my oldest brother and I, because we're just lug nuts uh, who have to work really hard to figure it out. But so, I mean, so basically, you know, my first dream, it started, I mean, it pretty occupied my, my childhood was my dad sent me to the University of Basketball camp when I, University of Kentucky basketball camp when I was in third grade. And you have to understand growing up in Kentucky, I mean, there are a few things that really stick out, right? I mean, Kentucky basketball is somewhat of a religion here. Um, you know, with all due respect, Kentucky gets cut, you know, cut on a little bit uh, from a socioeconomic standpoint and, you know, other stereotypes that drive me crazy. But the one thing we have and that we're all really prideful of is our basketball team can beat yours, right? And we take pride and we are the winningest basketball program of all time. And so you grow up, every, every kid that grows up in Kentucky has a hoop on the side of the house, the side of the barn or out back. And you grow up watching Kentucky basketball. It's like an event that does not get missed. So even before my dad sent me to camp, I was sitting in the living room watching every Kentucky game and seeing, you know, my dad root for the cats and all that, just like every other kid in Kentucky. So I go up a show here. I am from Edmonton, go up to Lexington. My mom and dad dropped me off and Rick Patino was the coach at the time. This was his first year at Kentucky's for you sports people. You got to really go back to this. Um, but Rick Bettino had inherited a program that was on probation and had injected a lot of passion and enthusiasm into the program. He was shooting a bunch of threes and playing fast pace. And so I got up there and I got around Rick Bettino and I got around the players and watching them scrimmage. And then I got to go over to Wildcat Lodge where they live. And then they took me to Rupp to see where the players play. And I'm in heaven. Right. I'm a, and that's real for me. I think sometimes I get a little down on that when I think about when they don't speak about the work ethic that goes into that. Right. Like, you know, it's like, you know, imagining and things. I do believe that the belief system and the thoughts and the imagery comes first. But if you get that really crystal clear and then you're willing to go work, well, then it then it all becomes possible. Yeah. We even, we say, you know, not even God can, can steer a parked car. So you got to get in the car and take the action, right? You got to work hard for it. I mean, even, yeah. it just doesn't happen. And that's, that's one thing. Uh, JP is so dedicated and such a hard worker and willing to put in the time and effort that it takes just to really make your dreams come to fruition. But it's, it's such an amazing story and such an, uh, you know, so, so, amazing to see your mom and how she really changed the tra trajectory of your life in believing in you. And as parents, I think it's just so important for us to believe in our children. And, and as um, now having an 11 year old son who looks up to JP so much, 
I remember my brother saying they were going to play ball or professional sports. And my, my mom would be like, yeah, you're also really smart. You should probably study because you're a white kid from, you know, Western Kentucky. And right. I just think, I mean, I can remember being like, here he comes. It's there's three seconds left. And he shoots the three and score blood is with the game, you know, all the, all the talk, but why do we, we need to become childlike again. And that's even biblical for us to become childlike and to believe and to dream and to go fulfill those desires that God has put on our heart. And this is just so amazing to show that when you believe in yourself and the power of believing in those you love around you, it changes the trajectory of your life. I mean, just that one night with your mom or afternoon, think about that. Gosh. I think think that's the true gift of, I mean, even living in this country, right. Is, Man, I, I just think one of the coolest things on earth is I get to dream any dream that I want and I get to decide what that is. Nobody else. This is my, my soul. I get to listen to what the Lord is whispering in my ear and how he created me. And then I get a, a chance to go turn that into reality. And the fact that you can take any dream and think about it and go put a plan together and make that come. It's just one of the coolest things in the world, I think. It's such a gift. Talk to us about, you know, you had this belief and you were stepping into that. Did you struggle with doubts at time with that? And what did you do during those, you know, what were, when disappointments came, how did you handle those things? What What did that look like from, especially from a thought and a belief standpoint? You had this vision and you were stepping into it, but we know that, you know, it does take that hard work and there are setbacks and you sometimes take two steps forward and three steps back. Would you share a little bit about that? Sure. So even I heard you guys mention on one of your first two episodes, and and I I, I so believe this, it's really not the destination, right? Mm -hmm. It is, it is an everyday journey and enjoying the journey. Because, you know, I can look back now. And so I ended up going to Kentucky and my career was, you know, look, I didn't play all my freshman year. I had a good sophomore year. Junior year was kind of blah. And my senior year, I get hurt. So it was a little, I mean, I didn't go. I mean, look, when I'm 80 years old, I will be so proud that I was able to make that dream come true. But there was a lot of ups and a lot of downs, you know, that came through going there and all that stuff. But when I look back on it now, I think the real gift is in what you guys talk about. It's not in playing ball at Kentucky or putting a jersey on that has Blevins on the back. It was cool, but that wasn't the gift. The gift was who I had to become in pursuit of a really big dream. So when I got knocked down, it's like, well, are you going to get back in the gym and work hard? So the discipline, the work ethic, you know, kind of understanding what it means to be a team player and be a good teammate. It's the persistence. It's the showing up every day. And there is like the developing mental toughness. That is a skill. I didn't really think about that. But when you're playing ball at Kentucky and you screw up and the whole state is talking about you, you know, screwing up, man, there's some pretty dark nights, right? And, um, you know, I don't want to go into this, but, you know, the way I was wired and, you know, this is something I'm trying to unwire is because I got so much attention growing up playing basketball. You know, when I was in fourth grade, I was playing on the eighth grade team. Right. Seventh grade, I was 
playing on the varsity high school team, right? When I was in eighth grade, I was starting on the varsity high school team and averaging 20 a game. So I was getting recruiting letters left, you know, kind of, kind of left and right. Um, how did I start this? I had a point and I got, I got, I got talking about difficulty and road bumps and what you learn along the way when you have setbacks. I'm talking about the identity. So what I was saying is this identity got formed in me that, you know, I felt love when people complimented how I played and I got, I started to create these huge standards for myself as this achiever and this guy who is, it's a performance identity and it's a little bit of an addiction. And so I get to Kentucky and I have some disappointing games and things didn't go exact. And I had to really, really battle that because it crushed my soul because that's how my identity was wired. I was, a, I was, a, I was an athlete. I was an achiever. I was a performer. And if I didn't hit those standards, it was crushing. So I had to really, really fight the mental aspect to develop mental toughness. And what do I do from here? And how, what does this all this mean? And so just a ton of maturation from a mental side, having unwound and, and looking back to understand yourself, like, why do I feel the way I feel? Like, where does these thoughts and these feelings come from? How was this hardwired into my soul? Well, when I was in fifth grade, everybody told me how great I was. Yeah. When I was eighth grade, nobody even talked to me. Was, oh, there's that phenom from Medcalf County that's like averaging 20 games. You know, so like. So your identity became that you were my, a basketball player. My identity became I am a basketball player. who is And now your worth is tied to that, right? Yeah. And so when that starts to not go the way you want, you're like. You really, I mean, it, it's sad, but I have to tell you there was, and I was, you know, and I had a faith, right? I came to the Lord as a sophomore in high school, but man, I didn't really understand that, man, if my identity doesn't come from the fact that I was created in, in, in his image, and it's really not coming from what I do, what do I achieve or other people's opinion, if I don't get that right, I will continue to have collapses throughout my life. If my identity is built on anything other than the fact that the good Lord made me in his image and man, that's enough to, mm -hmm. I will, I will deal with this for the rest of my life. And so Maria, I'll tell you to answer that question. How did you deal with the difficulty? Most of my difficulty came from the mental perseverance coming from that identity crisis that hits sometime having dreamed, you know, big and being exposed to that. Can we get really practical with that for a minute? Because we have a lot of entrepreneurs who are on this. We have a lot of high achievers who like to listen to this. And from working with clients, and I think both MK and I can speak to the fact that there's a lot of that that shows up. You know, that that identity tied in with achievement um, our self-worth being tied into that from a really practical standpoint, what would you say to someone who is struggling with that, who recognizes, you know, I, I thrive when I feel like I'm, you know, hitting my top numbers or when I'm achieving this or that, but when I don't, I'm crushed, you know, because that, that has become my worth. What would you say super practically that someone could do to start to work on that, you know, that has been a subconscious wiring their whole life, um, just that ungodly self-reliance, you know, what would you say to just encourage them to, you know, maybe some small steps 
to start taking that you've started to learn and maybe you're still implementing that because those those wires run deep. They, 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 they run really deep. I would just say, um, there's a couple things I would say. I would, first, you have to understand why, are you, why do you feel that way? Like if you don't understand it, you're just confused, right? You wake up in this empty, I mean, you hear it all the time, right? The guy that dreams big or the guy that makes a bunch of money and they get there and they're like, is this it? right? Because it won't fulfill. It was never meant to fulfill. And so one of the gifts I had was being able to live out a really big dream early in my life to realize like, well, it's really not about the destination. That was awesome for a while. It let me down in some ways. It made me really proud in other ways, but that's not who I am. So I think there is an awareness that comes from self-reflecting. I mean, I'm still learning about this stuff, but you know, there are a lot of really smart people that go back and really identify, you know, things in their childhood that happened because that stuff gets so branded on your mind and your soul. And those, you know, those neurotransmitters in your brain, I don't understand the physiology part of the science of that, but I just know it's real. So one thing that I had to come to grips with was, you know, I might say that I understand it, but if I keep feeling like this, like when I realize like I'm a performance addict and I'm an achievement addict, mm-hmm. putting the word addict on it made it more serious for me. So just like if I was a drug addict mm-hmm. and my family was going to intervene and try to take me to a clinic to get clean. If I don't get clean of this, it's going to haunt me forever and lead me down a destructive path. So one, there was an awareness of where did this come from? How did it start? But then realizing like, if I don't get control of this, it's going to continue to pop up. And I'll tell you, you know, as we evolve through my story, I'll tell you eventually kind of putting this to bed and it resurfacing and some things. So I think one's just an awareness, you know, two is just realize like, it's a serious thing, right? As an entrepreneur, you know, look, it's a gift, right? We have a hunger and a fire, we get to dream, we get to experience the coolest of cools, the highest of highs, and there are some really low lows. But you can't let the lows define you. And so what if you take a risk and it doesn't work out the way you want? Well, just, you know, figure out how to pivot, right? It's, I know it's so cliche, but I mean, you know, the only way really to fail is just quit. That's it. It's not losing all your money or going bankrupt or having an idea. But if that's it, if you just roll over and lay there, well, that's failure. But as long as you get your ass up and get your mind back in the game and start thinking and striving and dreaming again, you're going to get to some beautiful places. But if you let it because of my value is solely based on me starting this company, this company doing this, me getting this scholarship to that school, me earning this amount, my kid ends up going to so-and-so and playing soccer. I mean, there is no end. Yeah, if me, 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 out, me. There is no end. And it will not, it will crumble if the foundation is built and the identity is built on that. Now, some say, well, well, hell, I don't, I, you know, I, well, I'll, I won't be motivated, right? Like I'll become less mo- Nothing could be further from the truth. There is not a minute of my life that I have felt less motivated understanding this and trying to get the foundation right 
from when I was a true performance and achievement addict. And every morning, it's not something that like Maria, and you know this from studying the brain, when this stuff gets hardwired, it does not leave. Yeah. You, it is a daily reminder to you. Every morning when I wake up, I realize like at the side of my bed is like this performance like armor that's just waiting for me to like put it on. Like, am I going to put that uniform on? Because it's waiting for me. It want, It is just like saying, here I am. It's these comfortable, like, I don't know what's you know, the most comfortable sweatshirt you've ever had in your life. And you're like, that's my like, oh, put me on. Like, I'm ready. Come on. Let's go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're going to do this. But today, my value and my worth isn't dependent on this, this, and this. And if I don't get quiet during my day, um, we'll talk about that if you want, um, and reflect, it, it pops its head back. It's just like an addict that goes 10 years without having a drink, and one drink can put them right back. Like, if you're an addict, you can't play around with this stuff and it has to be kind of a daily conditioning to rewire. And so it's, look. Intentional work. And this gets, this doesn't get any of the attention it deserves, right? How much do you hear out there about people talking about being an achievement addict or performance mm-hmm. addict or you've got an identity crisis? Yeah, it's but everything. But the most dudes I talk to, like if they want to get real about their heart and their mind, it kind of ends up with a little bit of an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Or a lot. I mean, I think so much we are not living life by design, but rather by default because we have those identity crises and don't know who we are. But until we have the vulnerability, which is actually super courageous to talk about it, we're not going to move the needle. So, I mean, JP and I have been through a lot of seasons together. And um, I would say he has helped us a lot through some very difficult things, but it's through that vulnerability um, to really show your heart and say, you know, I'm really struggling here and not being worried or ashamed about covering up what you're struggling with, that you form these, you, you have this support network that loves you and helps you through it. And I wonder often, why are we so, why do we not have the freedom to fail? Why are we so scared of that? And just, you spoke so beautifully to, you know, the only way to fail is to quit. And that's where you need your people to just pick you up and pull you along. And it's just been such a beautiful gift for me and my family to, um, you know, we've been through, helped each other through some really difficult seasons and that's life. We're all going to have seasons of suffering. And so I just want to thank you and honor you for that just right here and now, because it's just, it's just been a gift. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I mean, on the, you know, MK knows a lot about my, 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 my bad seasons and man, you know, I've been at the bottom of the well, I, you know, the, the dark night of the soul a few times in my life. And uh, I will say that, I'll go out to the mailbox and there'll be a card with waffing on it. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, I, I just, it, it's a, it's a, it's a true blessing for me when I think back to all the cards and wake up in a hard spot and there's your daughter sending me a card saying, uncle JP is thinking about you and praying. I'm like, man, that stuff is real. So man, if you get a chance to help somebody that's in the bottom of the tunnel, do it. It matters. And that love and support absolutely can be a turning point for people that are experiencing that. And those now, of you guys who don't know MK real well, that is, she is gold at loving on people. And I think that's something that so many of us can learn from her. 
this woman has a heart to pour out on every person that encounters her. You will get a card in the mail. You will get something for your birthday. You will get, if you have even a 30 second encounter, something we talk about in the women's school is being a, a woman of contribution, whether that is a 30 second encounter at the grocery store, a 30 minute conversation with a friend or 30 plus years, you know? And if you have encountered her, you've encountered just sheer gold and love lived out. And I think that's such an example for all of us, you know, that kind of how JP said, like just getting that, that note in the mail, that can change the trajectory of someone's life, that intentionality of how are we loving on those around us and pouring into them because it does make a big difference. Well, thank you. You all honor me. JP forgot to mention that he only checks his mailbox about once every other month. So it might be, uh, you know, he might've had a season of suffering that he missed a few cards, but uh, eventually, eventually he'll get it. Oh, I think we, went, we went to visit him in North Carolina this uh, July and I think I found three unopened cards that I had sent in April. I'm like, JP. All I'll tell you is they all eventually get read. No, we my husband always says y'all really are like brother and sister you fight like the best of them and rag on each other but when i love each other to the to the depth so it's so good let's pivot for just a minute and talk about really who have been the biggest influences in your life and um just tell us a little bit about that like who has really made impact on your life man so I lost my dad when I was 28 years old and my dad had been a little bit of a security net from just a life advice. You know, if I had a big decision to make, he was, you know, really that guy in my life that uh, he was wise and I really respected his opinion. And um, you know, so when I was, so let's, let's talk about, it. so I leave college, right. You know, you wake up and a little bit of the, not, it's always a journey, right? Like I, only thing I had been thinking about my whole life was playing basketball and now it was over. Like now what do I do? I'm 23 years old from the time I was in third grade, I've been thinking about playing basketball and that's been my focus. And uh, now here I am. Right. And so I kind of was lost right after college with just this. I mean, it's like the guy that does something for 25 years and then retires and they don't know what to do with themselves. Right. That, that was kind of me after college. So I tried pharmaceutical sales for, I hated every bit of it, did that for a year. Then I went to Frankfurt, uh, believe it or not, and was in politics for a few, you know, like literally I would get on the elevator in Frankfurt and look at like the people that were just punching the clock waiting for, it would suck the life literally right out of me. And I was like, you know, like when you're sold and your heart's like, I don't know where I'm going, but it sure ain't this, right? <laughs> that Not that's when you take a road trip to the state park <laughs> yeah we're gonna water our grass but our grass ain't here that. that's some people's grass just not mine <laughs> right so you no know, i get into my late 20s i had begun doing some entrepreneurial stuff on my own and one of my really good friends called um, his name is Jim Mahan, just one of the dearest friends to me, had such an impact on my life. And so his dad had been a really successful guy who had um, done a lot in the banking industry, took banks public in the 90s and uh, bought and sold banks in Kentucky, put the first bank on the Internet, ended up taking a company called Securities First Public, uh, was out of Atlanta. And I didn't know anything really about his family. I got to know Jim in college. And then, you know, one day he called me. He's like, hey, my dad and I and a couple others are going to start a bank in North Carolina. And um, 
So this was in 07. So if you remember anything about the financial world, starting a bank in 2007 was the worst time to start a bank in the last 50 years, like right before the financial collapse, right? So this bank was supposed to be something different, right? They didn't have any uh, mortgage risk. They didn't do home loans, no car loans, no retail. It was just small business lending to a couple industries using the SBA program. And um, so he said, would you ever consider coming down here? And I said, Jim, what the hell, excuse my language, am I going to do at a bank? I didn't go to business school. I've never lent money. What? And he's like, well, just keep it in mind. You know, we're, we're putting some good people together. And so I paid attention to what they were doing. So a year and a half goes by, they get through the financial crisis. And, you know, I was financially savvy. So I've been in the market, a trader uh, for several years. So, you know, I'd listen to earnings reports. So I was business savvy, but not from, it was just kind of self-taught for me. And I kept thinking about that. And I was 29 years old. He called me back again a year and a half. He's like, man, I'm really thinking about this. we got like 20 people now and we need somebody to go out and kind of be an evangelist out on the road for the bank and, and speak and so here I was at 29, didn't really know where I was going, but this is what I knew. I was looking around at my life and it wasn't scaling at the way I wanted it to. And something you guys talk about is like, you know, pay attention to the five people you spend the most time with because your life will often reflect that, right? And I looked around, I was like, I'm not growing right now. I'm stagnant. And I'm comfortable. And that's not good. So I prayed for 30 days outside my street. Lord, can I really leave Kentucky? Everything I have ever known to move to North Carolina to work at a bank. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so, so, you know, I kind of felt the little whisper, right? You, sometimes you get quiet for long enough and ask a pretty direct question and then try to really listen for the answer. And I felt a pretty good tug that I'm supposed to put my dog in the car and drive 10 hours and go to Wilmington, North Carolina and try this thing. So I loaded up Maximus, which was my golden retriever. I was 29 years old, took off to the beach. I knew two people and I literally did. I rolled. And so the one thing for me that was hard was look, Playing basketball at Kentucky in Kentucky gives you name recognition. And from a business perspective, you have an advantage because people know who you are. And for me, whether I wanted to sell, you know, do medical sales or sell insurance, not that you can make every sell, but you're going to get in the door because you have name recognition and name recognition is an advantage. So it never made sense for me to even think about leaving. But I was like, I'm going to go a place where I have no advantage. Nobody knows who I am doing an industry that I don't even know, but this is what I know. I know the people that I'm getting involved with have been successful at everything they've touched, batting 100%. The second thing I know is that they're some of the most progressive-minded people and smartest people I know. But really the thing for me on top of that was they're some of the best human beings that I know. So I just told myself, if I'm going to roll away from my comfort zone and take a risk and leave everything, friends, family, name recognition, and invest, like, 
that's a formula that I'm willing to take a risk. So get to Wilmington, North Carolina, and you want to talk about getting close to the Lord. I know we're not going to go deep into that here, but you want to talk about move 10 hours away where it's just you, the dog and the walls. And by the way, you have no idea what you're doing at work. So like two of the big stressors in life, like moving and then changing jobs, right? All hit at once. So I made a promise to myself. I said, you know what? I will not consider going home unless I've been here one year. And I wanted to go home after three months. I want to go home after six months. I want to go home after nine. But I said, nope. I said, no consideration will I go home after one year. And about 10 months in, it started to click. So I began to learn how to lend money. I became a loan officer. Then I ended up leading a team that grew our sales from 70 million to 350 million in three years. That led to me being asked to run sales at the entire bank, which I accepted. So I was the chief revenue officer for, by the way, that little 20 person bank went public in 2015 and today has 650 people and it has a market cap of 2.5 billion. So here I am literally in the C-suite of a publicly traded company and I'm thinking, man, this thing has played out again. Like these dreams and these things if you're willing to take some risk and get around people that are playing the game at a higher level, you know, the thing that I did right, and I'm going to get to answer your question about who has made a impression on your life, because the guy I'm going to mention plays a role in this. So I haven't lost your question. <laughs> so in Kentucky, we like to bet on horses. And the one thing I did right was I bet on the right horse with a guy named Chip Mahan. Chip founded the bank, uber successful guy, incredible human being, incredible leader. And you go play when you're, when you're around these guys, you can't help to think on a different level, right? So I get down there and I realize I'm a different person eight years later. My dreams are bigger. I think differently. And I realize the thing you guys talk about, I've been around these guys that just play the game on a different level. And it, it, it's, it's changed the way I think. So and your identity is no longer as a UK basketball player because it can't be. That was one of the most rewarding things because it's like, I went somewhere where nobody even cared. They didn't know who I was, which was great, but I wasn't, no, I was no longer a basketball player. I was just JP. In Kentucky, I was the basketball player. In North Carolina, I was JP. And in a way that was scary at first, but then it became really refreshing because it reminded me I'm much more than just the dude who played basketball at UK, right? I can go do this in business as well. And so when you take the things you learned in athletics, then started to play out in business. And the one thing that playing basketball at Kentucky did, it raised my brain to know that you can dream really big. And now I can go apply that to the other parts of my life, right? I'm more than that. I can also do that. So I had to reflect though, when I got to, I was preparing for an earnings call and I was in running revenue for the bank. And I was like, I didn't know how to spell loan when I got to Wilmington, North Carolina. And I am running sales at a publicly traded bank. I didn't go to business school. I am a lug nut from Edmonton, Kentucky. How oh, did no. 
He's a brain. He's not just an athlete. He's got a brain. So um, it's just one of those moments. But again, so Chip Mahan, to answer your question, I have been able to watch and be mentored by a guy that I respect so dearly that has built businesses, has a gift for building businesses, but he's a better human being. And being around him has made me a better man. It has made me, uh, I have got, from my exposure to Chip Mahan, I've got more than what I could have got going to Harvard and getting an MBA. I've seen real life experiences. I've seen Live Oak start with 20 people and grow to a $2.5 billion company. Unbelievable. What I also saw is in 2012, after I'd been there two years, we decided we were going to create a software to sell to other banks. So we spent a software company off. I will literally watch it from first employee. We were able to invest in it. And that company today is called Encino. The stock symbol is N-C-N-O. That company today, the market cap is 7.5 billion. So I have in the last 10 years watched two companies start from one person and 20 people to grow to be billion dollar companies. And the education I got and the exposure and the mentorship from people like Chip Mahan has been such an invaluable thing in my life. I, I get a little teary when I think about it because it's just meant so much to me. Um, so I would say Chip Mahan um, has been another guy outside of my father that's had just such a real impact on my life. And he is an amazing, amazing human. But you just see how that one dream that you had when you were eight years old led you to go fulfill that dream. And then you leveled up to what's next. So I just can't wait to see what the Lord does <laughs> with you and your next uh, you know, chapter of life as you're now married with a baby on the way. Congratulations. Yeah, and I'm going <laughs> I'm getting ready to get a dog in May and baby in July. And we're just going to welcome crazy town to the Blevin. We're just going to put them all together and just let it explode all at once. I can't wait. It'll be great. It's going to be so how good. Much, how much bigger God's dreams are than our own. You know, they really are so much bigger. It's just been such a gift just to really allow our listeners to hear your story and show just the real examples of life about believing in yourself pressing in and leaning into those dreams and desires on your heart, because as we've talked about, the word desire actually means of the father. And so he wants you to have a fulfilling life with joy and peace and freedom all at once in this lifetime. And really just knowing that the only way to fail is to quit. I love that so much. So really, what would your um, final point telling our listeners how to water your grass? Just a practical tip of how to water your grass wherever you are in your season right now. So I would say a couple things. I would, you know, because you guys do a lot with the mind and the brain, and I've been able to live some things out that I've had to pinch myself on. But I would... You know, just like my mom grabbed me by the shoulder and looked me in the eye and said something really simple, but something really profound to me when I was in the fourth grade. But man, if you're, you can actually dream any dream you want. And if you're actually willing to believe it and then go work for it, just don't be shocked when you get there. Right. So ultimately what I have learned that what we end up doing in life, I think has ultimately little to do with our intelligence, our ability or our skill, but it is profoundly impacted 
by the belief that you and I have about ourselves and what we actually think is possible. Um, the other thing I would say is I saw a study once and it was like these hospice nurses and they were coming up with a common theme of things that at the end of people's lives that they heard the most out of people that obviously were in that stage of life where they had to reflect on their life. And they had summarized this in a report and they said the three things that they heard the most when people had a month or less to live were this, because they asked the question, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do? And the three most common answers were, number one, I would slow down. I would slow down and enjoy the miracle. And, you know, everybody has a story on here about how fast life is going. You guys know it. If you're a parent, if you're working, if you're growing a business, if you're an entrepreneur, I mean, there is not enough time in the day. Right. And then it, and then it just, I've learned you got to be really intentional about slowing down. And for some people that's spiritual, it is for me, for others, it's just mindfulness that maybe it, but it will not happen by accident slowing down. There is nothing in this world that is set up for you to live a slower life, to be present and enjoy the gifts that you've been given today. But every once in a while, when you're going fast, just realize one of the most common answers that people say is slow down. When they got a month to live, they went too fast. The second thing that the people responded, they said, I would take more risk. I just played it a little too safe. There were things that I thought about my whole life that would be cool to try or to do, and I never did them. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they would have worked or not. But in the grand scheme of things, looking back, I just wish I had tried. So I always told myself, I just never want to be in that rocking chair at 85 and look back and just, what if? And I thought about that when I moved to North Carolina. I don't know if this is going to work out. I guess if it doesn't, I know the road back home. <laughs> you know, I guess I can just take my little sweet butt right back to Kentucky if it doesn't work out. But, but I think people are so scared. And I think about that today. I don't I have taught myself how to really be scared of comfortable. Okay. And if I'm really comfortable, man, I might not be taking enough risk. And I remind myself at the end of people's lives, that's one of the most common things they say. I wish I had took more risk. The last thing, the third thing, and I'll leave you with this, that people responded on that question. What would you do different if you did it all over again? They said, I would do something that would live beyond me. Whether that is mentoring someone that carries on your gifts, whether that's writing a book for your kids, whether that's starting a, a foundation that helps something you really care about. I don't know what that is, but they said, I would slow down and enjoy the miracle. I would take more risk and I would try to do something that outlives me. So, I write those down on a sheet of paper in the morning and remind myself, uh, all right, if this is the most common answer that people have at the end of their lives, I probably want to pay attention to it. So that's what I would leave you with. 
So good. It's so good. (laughs) JP is a a man of deep faith and, and that's why you are where you are at the end of the day. We know that it's not about us, but it's about how we impact people through us and just living that purposeful, intentional life is something we, we talk so much about, but you really are the example of living out faith and, and following dreams and just becoming the best version of yourself. And it's just an honor to have you here and to walk beside you and witness all that the Lord is doing in your life. And as you continue to put in the work and reach that next level of becoming a better version of yourself, it's just been such a gift. So we thank you for being here today. I love you so much. And I'm um, just so grateful and can't wait to see what amazing dream you conquer next. Hey, so, to, to see what you guys, as I said, I think you guys are doing awesome work. I'm going to be watering my grass. And in, so hey, I uh, love doing this. This was fun. And uh, you guys keep up the good work. Love you guys.